Welcome to TV7 Israel's podcast. We invite you to listen and share our latest content from Israel and the region. Welcome to yet another episode of TV7's Times Observer, and joining me is my dear brother in Christ and friend, Amir Tzalfati. Amir, how are you today? Shalom, Jonathan. I'm great. Thank you very much. Praise the Lord. How about we open in prayer and uh, ask the Lord to join us and our brothers and sisters watching right now uh, in today's discussion that uh, we may serve Him and that every word will be Mm. His words, not our own. Amen. Father, we thank you so much. Again, not just uh, for being your children and and for uh, being under your care and knowing that you are in full control of everything, but for having your word so we can understand your plans for the future. You declare the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that are not yet done. So we thank you, Father, that um, as your children, we have the privilege of having the most important resource to understand what's going on all around us. We thank you for your word. Thank you for your promises and for your comfort to your children. And we ask that you will open the eyes of our hearts to understand the wonders of your word. In the name of the Holy One of Israel, Yeshua Mashiach, we pray. Amen. 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 All right, Amir, uh, we'll start with a a psalm of encouragement, if uh, I may add. And then continue uh, into our topics of discussion today. Uh, we'll start with Psalm 133, uh, which uh, uh, in Hebrew is Kuflamet uh, Gimel. I'll start in Hebrew and you'll follow up in English. And then uh, we will discuss today, uh, among others, uh, the energy crisis in Europe, how it impl- uh, its implications on the Middle East and, and Israel in particular. But uh, let's start with this and we'll move on. After so, Teilim Kuf Lamed Gimel Shir Hamalot Le David Hinematov Umanaim Shevetachim Gam Yachad Kashemenatov Al Harosh Yered Al Hazakan Zaken Aharon Sheyored Alpi Midotav Ketal Hermon Sheyared Al Harare Zion Kisham Tziva Donai Et Habracha Chaim Ad Haolam Amen. A song of ascents of David. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there... The Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Amen. Well, uh, Emil, before we dive into the energy topic, uh, I'd like to hear your um, perspective on uh, the Russian decision to uh, draft a a resolution for the UN Security Council on uh, Israel's alleged um, aerial strike uh, earlier 
this month that uh, obviously also targeted uh, Damascus International Airport. Um, uh, three points in, in both runways uh, were uh, destroyed, of course, immediately thereafter. Uh, Moscow, Damascus, Tehran, and, and others uh, condemned Israel uh, directly. Uh, the fact of the matter is that there is a deconfliction mechanism, as you well know, uh, between the Russian and Israeli militaries with regard to uh, Israeli operations, which are not uh, obviously claimed responsibility for by the IDF. Nonetheless, um, the moment that the Russians move forward and decide to publicly uh, come forth and attribute responsibility to Israel and moreover uh, approach international bodies to try and condemn, Dis- uh, condemn Israel for that, it indicates a certain shift. So what can you tell us from your perspective on this matter? Yeah. Well, from my perspective, Russia has always been uh, a, a nation. I'm not talking about the people. I'm talking about the leadership. The leadership is, is a leadership of interests. Um, and at the moment, they have to present themselves as those that are taking care of the well-being and the welfare of the Syrian people. They don't care much about the Iranians. They don't care much about all the conflicts between Israel and, and Iran. They care about their control in Syria. And from what I understand, Jonathan, um, Russia is using the, the destruction that uh, the Israeli strike in uh, the airport there uh, uh, caused. Russia is using that to leverage their own uh, control in that area. From what I understand, the, the Russian radar was damaged, and in order to fix it, Russia demands full control over what's going on there. So they have their own interests. Of course, they they don't want to be seen like they have abandoned the Middle East, certainly not uh, Syria. But Russia has to stand before the whole world as the one that takes care of Syria. And therefore, they are saying, look, so far, you've been attacking Iranian depots, Iranian weapons, but this is a civilian airport, although you and I know that this civilian airport was used for smuggling of weapons and ammunition and, and uh, uh, you know, game-changing wep- you know, systems that we could not live with. But again, my point is that Russia is having two faces, the face that it has to show to the world and the face that it has to show to the Iranians and the Syrian regime right now. And at the moment, this strike on the airport in Damascus serves their interest to get you know, the most out of both, um, uh, both uh, fronts that they have to face. I, um, I've always said that Russia is friends with us until Russia will not be friends with us anymore. You know, it's it's very simple. This is not a deep relationship between two countries that shares the same values, such as Israel and the U.S. This is only interest. It's only about what can we gain from this relationship. And at the moment, they have more to gain from condemning us than from staying silent. So at the moment, that's what they do. The moment will come, and that's probably what we're going to talk about next, when the energy will play a you know a big role and they will not live with the fact that Israel is one of the main candidates to replace the reliance on Russian oil in the middle and Russian gas in Europe. So again, right now the Russian interest is to stay 
you know, uh, the guardian of the Syrians and to, if it takes condemnation of Israel in the UN Security Council, why not? I just think that it's the irony of, of having Russia that is butchering Ukrainians and destroying Ukrainian airports, hospitals, theaters, literally demolishing them up right on top of, of people that are taking shelter in them. The irony of them condemning us for destroying infrastructure that is used for terror, whereas, by the way, no one died in this strike, only facilities were uh, uh, got hit. This is an irony that uh, only our world can provide. Indeed, uh, for so far as we know. Um, with that being said, uh, I, I think, uh, of course, as, as you spoke of this, uh, we need to keep in mind Russia has attacked Israel in the past. It happened in the 50s um, under the guise of um, Russian-built, Egyptian-flagged aircraft. Uh, Israel obviously confronted this Russian attack. And since then, under uh, the Soviet uh, Union, of course, um, Moscow has uh, gained much respect for Israeli military capabilities and uh, its resolve in the face of uh, quantitative, not necessarily qualitative, but quantitative uh, force. Uh, when we're looking, however, at uh, Russia's current position in Syria, to what degree does the fact that the Bosphorus, uh, the strait, was blocked to Russian naval assets and Turkish airspace was blocked to Russian military aviation, uh, and which obviously forces Russia to fly into Syria over Armenia, then into Iran, then into Iraq, and only then, <clears throat> excuse me, enter into Syrian airspace, uh, does that not create a certain leverage by the, uh, the Iranians over the Russians? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that the Russians at the moment are pretty taken by the Turkish response, but I think that the, Turkey as a, a prime member of NATO could have not done anything different than what they did. And I think that, um, you know, relying on Iranian airspace is, of course, uh, you know, something that uh, the Russians wish they didn't have to, but that's the present situation. And Russia doesn't want to be perceived as weak. The world is already looking at Russia as weak with very poor performance in certain areas in the Ukraine. And the last thing they want is to be perceived as weak in their grip uh, of their assets in the Middle East. And this is why they're ultra aggressive in their response right now uh, because again uh, this is uh, in light of what is going on in other places where they're involved right now and don't forget Jonathan many of the uh, forces that Russia used to have on the ground in Syria were already transported to the Ukraine uh, or to the Donbass area to fight there so Russia is you know, in numbers, Russia has significantly decreased its uh, presence in Syria and also in weapons. So Russia has to do something on the declarative uh, level, such as the UN Security Council. But let's for, not, not forget it. Uh, America will veto that any decision uh, against us uh, offered by the Russian. In fact, any country uh, that, uh, you know, right now will, will oppose anything that offered by Russia, except of the Chinese. Uh, and so I'm not afraid of what the Russians are declaring. I am saying Israel should pay attention to what Russia might be doing, not saying. And that is, of course, reserved for the near future.
indeed. Uh, of course, as you mentioned, uh, Russia's ground forces and its maneuvering capabilities have been, uh, uh, at least from an image perspective, uh, they're not very impressive, as some people may have thought. Uh, nonetheless, its surface-to-surface capabilities and its cyber capabilities, and uh, according to what I hear from multiple uh, generals in, in Europe, its nuclear capabilities are quite impressive. So it has not yet used all exactly. of its capacity and its capabilities. I, I agree with you, Jonathan. I think that uh, the, the failure to re- reach a air superiority in Ukraine caused them to move to the only option they have, which is surface-to-surface missiles. And they have some monstrous rockets. I've seen some of the craters that those rockets left behind them and it was it's monstrous rockets i mean let's we have to admit that they're as you said uh, they're surface to surface missiles their cyber and their nuclear um, um, capabilities are superior to most countries in fact they somebody said that the russian nuclear arsenal is even superior to the u.s with the tactical nuclear bombs that they already have so Yes, I agree with you. We we have to never underestimate what they have. And biblically, biblically, I see how those rockets, which we need to pay attention to, are going to fly. The Bible talks about how the, the attack will come like a dark cloud. Namely, it's, a, it's coming from the sky, not necessarily on the ground. And so, again, I'm not really afraid of the ground maneuvers of the Russians, but I would not underestimate their uh, rockets capability because it is superior to most countries around the world. Indeed. Uh, uh, Nevertheless, there is the MAD mechanism, M-A-D. I won't go into that, uh, but whoever at home uh, is interested in what MAD actually means, mutually assured destruction between NATO and uh, Russia, uh, you can dive into that um, deeper in your own time. Now, when we're talking about Russia and Ukraine, obviously in 2021, uh, the amount of natural gas pumped from Russia through uh, Gazprom, uh, it's uh, Nord Stream 1, of course, Nord Stream 2 didn't start yet, but uh, it amounted to some 155 BCM, billion Uh, cubic meters um, of natural gas, something that obviously was efficiently integrated into Europe. Um, And in light of uh, the Ukraine crisis and and in light of uh, the fact that especially Germany was so heavily reliant, but most of the Eastern Bloc was heavily reliant, uh, you can see the European Union in particular coming and seeking alternative means. Now, the primary... Um, recipient of the new contracts, uh, which are long-term contracts, is Qatar. Qatar, uh, a small country in the Persian Gulf, is not only um, not a democracy, to say the least, but it is also one of the most most senior champions and biggest funders of the Muslim Brotherhood. Of course, a close ally of Turkey, a close ally uh, of all Muslim Brotherhood organization affiliates and, and so on, including the Islamist Hamas organization, which it funds. Uh, to what degree can we see this 
aspect of the fact that Qatar is now becoming the biggest recipient of uh, contracts. Of course, the secondary is the United States, and then the third uh, is Israel via Egypt, which has the infrastructure to liquidate the natural gas uh, and then transport it into Europe. Is this now a certain um, course of collision, if you will, between mm. Qatar and Russia? Yeah. Well, I, I believe that, you know, I know the end game. The, the end game is that eventually Israel will become the, you know, a prime one of the, of the three. But as you said, Qatar now has the available, uh, you know, way to do that. But remember, Jonathan, it's much cheaper to get gas, liquidized gas from Egypt. And this is an Israeli gas that flows to Egypt. Egypt doesn't have enough gas even to its own consumption. Everything Egypt will export to Europe is actually Israeli gas that Egypt buys, liquidized it, and then sends it to Europe. It's much cheaper to do that from, from, from Egypt to Europe than from Qatar to Europe. So eventually, Qatar is an interim solution only, I believe. And I, I also think that when people will realize that there is a conflict of interest of getting your energy from the biggest supporter of the Muslim Brotherhood, then you understand that it, it won't really work for the longer longer term. But again, I I truly believe, Jonathan, that eventually I don't I don't really I'm not concerned about the Qatar thing because I believe it's an interim solution only. I eventually believe that the 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 the, the uh, special tour of the EU president to Egypt to sign the deal with Egypt and Israel is the main thing that causes uh, the world to um, uh, to be amazed. And I also believe that uh, we would have never done that without the silent approval of the rest of the Gulf countries, including Saudi Arabia, who is not in love with Qatar, to say the least. So, and and let's let's remember uh, that. Um, the uh, status of Mohammed bin Salman in Saudi Arabia is rising and the stocks value of Saudi Arabia is rising as the U.S. president um, against all of his election campaign promises is traveling to um, Saudi Arabia and is going to meet with Mohammed bin Salman. Um, all of that to show you that uh, the war in Ukraine changed everything and and uh, economy and interest trumps uh, ideology, and uh, and and again, we are going to see a European reliance on the Israeli-Egyptian axis uh, more and more because of its availability and because of the price. I I, I think that Jonathan, the uh, price that Israel is giving is cheaper than the price that the Qatar the uh, the, the Qatar regime is giving. And Europe will eventually have to uh, choose what's best for Europe financially. Look, the world is going into recession. America is going into recession. UK and Western Europe, every dollar counts right now. And if we, if you can get um, a cheaper gas to warm you up during the winter, you will definitely do that. So yes, to your question, Qatar might be the option now, but not for too long. Yeah, but when we're looking at volumes, uh, again, I spoke about the 155 BCM in 2021. Israel uh, 
as part of this MOU, together with, uh, you mentioned, uh, EU President or the European Commission President, Ursula von der Leyen, uh, together with, uh, uh, of course, the Egyptian party in this MOU, uh, they have signed an agreement that the exports from Israel via Egypt into Europe would uh, grow from 5 BCM to 7 BCM, hopefully, by year's end, and potentially double that by next year. Um, With that being said, the leverage the Russians had over Europe was not over all of continental Europe. Uh, It was particularly into specific countries, including Germany, which is a significant party uh, to the construct of the European Union. Uh, But uh, the the capacity to transfer that uh, amount of of, uh, LGN, uh, of uh, uh, liquidized natural gas... Uh, it ultimately will demand significant infrastructure to be built, something that uh, to rely on stability in the Middle East to maintain that infrastructure is quite uh, precarious at at best. Uh, I mean, do you see this now as a situation in which we can uh, regard a certain security guarantee? Of course, all of Israel's offshore gas reservoirs are roughly 49% owned by the Americans, not not even by the Israelis. So there is here an American interest. Correct. Uh, First of all, I think that at the moment from Egypt, it's via transportation uh, uh, boats rather than a a pipeline. But it will will change. But I I do think, yeah. But I I do think that um, in the meantime, Europe is, uh, remember what I said, ideology is now being... Uh, uh, wrapped and put aside, and now the reality is hitting the Europeans. And as far as I heard yesterday, uh, the Germans are reopening their coal-operated, uh, um, uh, you know, power plants because they understand that no matter what, whatever they are going to sign uh, a deal with uh, from Egypt, even from Qatar, it will never be enough to cover their need if they really want to be weaned off the Russian one. So they have to go back to their old uh, ways. Now, will that really uh, help them? Will that work? Mm, I don't know, but remember that the promise is that the deal with between Israel and the Egyptians and the Europeans is, is gradually for, from this year old, from 2023 to 2030 and then to 2050, I mean, this is a long-range, uh, long-distance uh, 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 deal that um, the Russians are not really happy with. They understand that uh, we are increasing it every year more and more and more. And it's not that the deal is going to end two years later. It's for all the way to 2030 and with an option to 2050. So I, I'm, I'm thinking the coming war that will be on Israel will be an energy war. I really think that this is the hook in the jaw of Rosh, um, as Ezekiel 38 is describing. Uh, of course, uh, there is discussions about, there are discussions about uh, uh, subsea pipeline uh, between uh, Israel, 
Cyprus yes. and Greece, or alternately also through uh, the EEZ of Turkey to allow for certain royalties uh, to benefit Turkey, that it won't cause more of a dispute between Turkey and Greece, that obviously is an issue. Uh, if it happens specifically only via Cyprus and Greece, this will cause uh, quite the significant challenge, not only by the fact that Qatar is already engaged in a propaganda machine against Israel uh, via its uh, Al Jazeera network, which, uh, you know, it's quite ironic. All uh, government-owned channels all over the world have a label underneath them uh, that this is a government-sponsored channel or a government-run channel. Al Jazeera is one of the only ones that on Twitter and, and everything else does not have that. So it's it's uh, investing quite heavily in, in areas of interest. Uh, nonetheless, we do see that German infrastructure in Hamburg, they're building, of course, the LNG uh, silos in, in the Netherlands. They're building additional silos to be able to receive them. Also for Germany in, in uh, Rotterdam and in, in Groningen, of course, also in the port of Hamburg itself. Uh, so we're seeing a lot more emphasis on that. But much of European infrastructure for LNG is actually owned by Gazprom, which is Russian. So there is a lot of, of legal issues here and uh, they're not going to get rid of uh, Russia altogether. Um what can you give us as a word of encouragement as we're drawing near to the end of the program? Hmm. We know God is in control. We know <laughs> he already planned everything ahead of time. Yeah. Jonathan, I'm sitting here and I'm smiling throughout the whole program. Although we're talking about some very, very you know, serious things, I'm smiling because everything that we're talking about, we are talking now on current events, but we could talk about it as... Bible believers 20 years ago. Okay, now we talk about it as Bible believers and as people that are dealing with current events. But 20 years ago, we could talk about it only as Bible believers. And people would probably laugh at us because, hey, what are you talking about? This, it sounds imaginary. No, everything that the Bible says is going to happen. It might sound imaginary to some people today, but tomorrow they will have to face reality. And that is the advantage of the believer. When the Lord said in Isaiah 46, I am God, there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, we better take his word seriously. God is in full control, and Bible prophecy is not to scare, but it's to prepare. Indeed. We will discuss this uh, more in depth in our next episode next month. Um, what can we pray for as believers? We have about one minute left. Uh, points of prayer. I, I always say we need to pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters in the Middle East, particularly right. also in Iran, in Syria, uh, Iraq, uh, other places throughout this region, even here in Israel. Uh, yes. We need uh, the body of Christ yeah. to unite in prayer for one another uh, during those times that are becoming increasingly more difficult. But also, uh, as you said, the world is entering into recession. Exactly. What we need to pray for, Jonathan, is that people will have a personal encounter with Jesus and that they will then fall in love and understand the Word of God and the Holy Spirit will be there in them to explain the Word of God and then, and then give them that peace and that comfort that they need. Without the Holy Spirit, this is the comforter that Jesus said he's going to send once he's going to the Father. So we do have a source of comfort and a source of joy and a source of peace. We need 
to take it. We need to own it. We need to uh, acknowledge that it's there. And and religion has never been the answer. Amen. Relationship Amen. with God is. And there's Indeed. only one way. Yes. Well, praise the Lord. And uh, thank you, Emil, for partaking in today's program. Uh, and uh, this is all the time that we have for today. So we'll leave the rest for the next episode. Uh, God bless you. And, and we'll see you soon again. Uh, with that, uh, I'd like also to thank our uh, brothers and sisters watching today. Keep praying for the peace of Jerusalem, the salvation of Israel. Shalom, and we will see you next time. Thank you for joining us in another TV7 Israel podcast. For more content, visit our website at tv7israelnews.com or follow us on social media.